Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lits. My name is Nick Argyris and this week I'm looking for, of course, the best cowboy book. To help me are two buckaroos and high school English teachers, Ian and Joe. Hi, Nick. Hi, Ian. I am Joe. Holshoe. I feel weird about saying my last name. Are you for a sound name. effect no. to come yeah. in there? <laughs> Joe. You- <laughs> Holshoe. <laughs> Pew, pew. <laughs> oh right, this should be cowboy sound yeah, effects. Yeah, can you? Can we? Um, nice joke. Can we just get a, 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 a sort of a, an ongoing track of a tumbleweed rustling past we in the background? Hi-ya. Oh hey, howdy, partners! I just rode in on my horse. Jesus Christ! My name's Joe Holshoe, the cowboy. <laughs> Holy shit. I don't think I could have thought of anything worse than that. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, buckaroos. Hello, I'm on a horse. That's what cowboys do. There's nothing more cowboy than a good old Wisconsin boy named like Joe Holshul. Yeah, He really tapped into <laughs> his creative writing skills on that one, didn't he? Yeah, but guys, did I mention that I was on a horse? And did you hear the... It's good. All right. I'm Joe Holshue. Uh, and as you have guessed already, Litheads, we are talking about cowboys this week. Nick, if you are looking for a cowboy book, I think name. you should read Cormac McCarthy's Blood Meridian. Howdy, partners. Howdy, Howdy partners. <laughs> I teach reading and writing down at the schoolhouse. The oh, handle boy. is Dr. Young. And this week, <laughs> I'd like to propose your readership of the prize winning novel turned miniseries called Lonesome Dove, recommended by Trail Hand and Loyal Lithead, Gina. Thanks, Gina. Thank you, Gina. Thank you, Gina. Much obliged. May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely (laughs) enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. (laughs) Who who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. Um, I have a list of some cowboy slang in front of me here. Um, <laughs> Joe is coming in. Do you guys know what Buy above some snakes means? first. Like if, I, if, I'm a, if I'm above snakes, you know what that means? I think, are we going closest without going over? I'll say above snakes is for $3,500. Mm-hmm. Uh, above snakes, above snakes. You're asking me what that means. What does it mean? I, I say, hey, I'm doing well today. I'm above snakes. I feel like you just answered it. Like you're doing well today. Okay. Yeah. Like so above ground. <laughs> it's above like ground. Snakes go on the ground. So if you're, if you're below snakes, you're underneath the ground. You oh, do so not you think it's be below just, snakes. You think it's like black and white, like you're dead or alive. Well, Nick, like, this well, is at least I'm West. not dead. I'm above snakes. But yeah, you got it. it. Like it's not the timid West. What do you think besides snakes? feet? <laughs> I've been next to snakes. I've never been below them. Joe, give us another. Yeah, hit us, baby, one more time. What does it mean if you're chewing gravel? If you're chewing <laughs> was gravel. Be snakes. <laughs> <sighs> chewing gravel. Um, I think that means like you're a tough guy. Like, oh, that guy's chewing oh, gravel. Yeah. That guy's guy. so tough he could eat rocks for breakfast yeah, like that. that. Yeah, eating stones. Ian, do you want to take a stab? I would say it's like when you're riding behind the cowboy cow herd. <clears throat> oh, and and they're kicking up a ball. I would say that's more like eating dust. Yeah, like eat gravel. my dust, right? Yeah, chewing gravel is when you're thrown off your horse oh, and, yeah, and you get a mouthful of gravel, obviously. Mm. All right, if something is an apple pie order, right? Like how are things going today? They're an apple pie order. What, what are things if they're in apple pie order? It means they've been baked uh, within a pastry crust for about... I don't know, 45 to 60 minutes. Right. Um, in three, a delicate juice of, in a delicate mixture uh, of, of their own juices, some sugar, probably some cornstarch or another thickening agent. And you know what? If we're feeling skanky, maybe a little skanky. bit of cinnamon. <laughs> yeah. 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 You got it. Exactly. Uh, that is clothes. what the cowboy slang in apple pie order means. It even says delicate juices, but here it says cowboy juices in cowboy oh, no. juices. Don't <laughs> say cowboy no, in apple pie order, of course, means to be in tip top shape, to be in high quality. So I, really I hope we that. have an apple pie recording today, gentlemen. Maybe our theme this week should be cowboy juices. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nick, I have a question for you, which is 
Why do you want to do cow? Like, what do you care about cowboys? You're a soft ad agent from the Midwest. Or, right. An ad man. Well, I don't. I don't. Wait, you don't? <laughs> okay. <ask laughs> what uh, why don't, um, seems like a fun theme. And I just thought we need uh, more stories out there about uh, men with white men with guns. <laughs> uh, for the record, plenty of my guys are black. Oh, okay. All, Noted Nick, all on of my the guys record. are white. All of my guys are white. One of them is so actually an albino. So, Joe, we've we've talked about. Okay, great. <laughs> we'll get a chart out. Um, we uh, we've talked about your book before, Joe. Lots of times. I think actually yeah. I've talked about it as a book that I was reading and then yeah. I didn't, I didn't finish it though. It's, I mean, we, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil my hand here. Right. Um, I did finish it I, before Ooh. you guys jumped Ooh. in. One of the first, one of the first ones you've actually Whoa. finished. It's, <laughs> the, and the first time ever I finished a book. No, it, it's a tough book to read though. Like it's a oh, tough yeah. book to read for a yeah. few reasons. This is super wonderful though, because I had no frame of reference for what the other one that Joe was going to bring bum chum crumbsums or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, as I was reading Lonesome Dove, I was favorably comparing it to Blood Meridian. Uh, they came out in the same year. Oh, I love it. Oh, hey. It almost seems intentional. More book news. Uh, da, da, Joe, your da, author da, is da. actually releasing new material. Yeah. I've heard. Two this. books. Two books. Which I mean, that's obviously an episode. So I'm excited that it's going to be a little <laughs> Cormac year. I think it, yep. but this is real synergy. I actually speculate. Um, you know, he doesn't do a lot of press, so it's hard to say. But I mm-hmm. speculate that he loves the show so much. He yeah. had these two oh, in clearly. the hopper, and he thought, you know, Ian and Joe pew, pew. Would really do well with these two. <laughs> and then Double he pewed them right out. You guys, it's time for our word of the week. Oh, you know, Joe just said the word synergy, and I just want to share with mm, you the truly origin terrible. of that word oh, is yes. actually cinematic energy. Oh, um, that's where it came from. That's, I love it. So when you say like there's a strong synergy here, you're really saying um, there's a strong energy as related to the cinema yeah. or the movie theater. And that's really what this podcast is all about. I think yeah, cinematic I, energy. I mean, we have mm-hmm. yes, so much. I'm writing energy. down cinematic energy as a theme. That's a really good theme because there are some <laughs> books I've read. I'm like, this reads more like a screenplay, or it mm, should be a screenplay. This would be a better oh. movie. Uh, well, welcome, litheads, to you don't know lit, a weekly, as we call it, strongly oh, podcast. Where every podcast. week I pick a theme, and two high school English teachers, Ian and Joe, my only friends, bring a book mm-hmm. recommendation. Uh, and of course, we have some rules. Uh, where they compete over my wife, affection, I would say, probably. Um, sure. Yeah. Adoration. adoration. Approval. Yeah. Uh, approval. approval. Yeah. Anything that starts with an A, they want we're it. Like, we're like hungry little dogs that need their bowl of milk. In the yep, 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 yep. Uh-huh. Okay. And uh, <laughs> we do have some rules to keep us on track. Rule number one, only unavoidable spoilers, gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Preferably none. Rule number two, omit needless words, Joseph. Omit and rule words, number three, only winning matters. Vince Lombardi, Um, because we will have a winner today just to piss one of you off. That's what we're here for. Joe, so I've kind of read your book. Do you think that is a leg up or a leg down? It's it's always so hard to tell, Nick. As you know, it is absolutely a wash for sure. (laughs) The the (laughs) ultimate decision is based on nothing more than on the whim of that very moment. Uh, Like, yeah, the the title of the episode doesn't really seem to matter. Um, Like sometimes Sometimes, Nick's feeling a little hungry. And sometimes sometimes I don't even listen to what you guys say. I don't even know who's going to win until it's just coming out of my mouth. (laughs) It's crazy, <laughs> but you're doing a lot of great work. Can I get 30 on your books? Give me the uh, little teaser. Tell me what your book is about so I can decide who should go first. Awesome. Nick, Blood Meridian is the most violent book I've ever read, and it's not even close. It's about this guy named The Kid who joins up with John Joel Glanton and his gang of scalp hunters, and a lot of the novel spent on the Texas-Mexico border is The Kid, Glanton, and a seven-foot-tall albino named The Judge hunt down natives, massacre villages, and pretty much just murder their way across the country. Um, It's horrifying, but it's also like kind of beautiful in its descriptions of you know scenery not so much the murder stuff um it's sometimes it called wow yeah he thinks it's, it's sometimes called his magnum yeah. opus magnum opus and sometimes called the great american novel which i mean hey we have a lot of awards on this show that's a pretty big one who who gave that out 
<laughs> that's we will be awarding that at the end of today. So it's, <laughs> I think no, I think that's that's what we're doing in the course of this show is we're trying to figure out it's a it's yes. a massive bracket. We're all still in the first oh round. Yeah. We haven't even left. Speaking of March Madness, two hundred fifty six yeah. books per side of the bracket. Uh, this is like a six seed. <laughs> it's a thirty year bracket. <laughs> I assume that's how uh, long it'll take before one of us dies. Um, oh yeah, at least. <laughs> Joe, Damn Joe, yes. you missed you missed one of the better parts of this novel, which well, is it's it's long title, um, Blood Meridian, or otherwise known as the Haunting Dar- Darkness in the Last no. West, something no, like that. Now. He doesn't even know his book name. Well, it's called Blood Meridian, guys. Blood Meridian or the Evening Redness in the West. The evening, the evening redness. redness in the West. Those are just five or possibly six words that are just so haunting. Right. Yeah. Evening. Um, And like, and ominous too. If you're short on time, you just call BM. Yeah. 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 Nice thing. Right. Nice. Lots of different names. Ian, do you want to go now? Not BM. Uh, Just tell me about your. No, I don't. I I never do that while, while I'm on the recording with you guys. As storm clouds boil on the horizon, the cattle herd stampedes. A bear fights a bull, and the bull wins. Barely. A beautiful prostitute falls in love with the man who saves her. Cowboys get drunk, and fight, and ride, and rope, and die. Larry McMurtry's Pulitzer-winning novel Lonesome Dove has a range as wide as the plains, and as massive as the Rocky Mountains. Easily one of the best books I have ever read. Wow! That's pretty good. Easily. You guys, this is in my top five. Maybe even my top three. And is this a new read for you? I'd never read it before. Wow. I, I was barely aware that it existed as a thing. What a sound. What a my good. goodness. But is it a great American novel? You should thank whoever submitted this. Gina, yes, Gina, Gina. Gina recommended this. And and uh, Gina, uh, mea culpa, um, our, our culpa, I guess. Uh, nostra culpa. <laughs> Here's the thing. Uh, Gina's, Gina's little blurb on this novel says, and I quote... In remembrance of Larry McMurtry, who passed away Thursday. Uh-oh. So I went and looked when Larry McMurtry passed away. It was a year ago. Oh, oh Gina, no. playing the so long game. This is, this is in, in memory of, of uh, Larry McMurtry, who passed away a year ago uh, um, from this recording. Um, and this message is for Gina and all the litheads out there. Um, if you would like to recommend a book, we will get to it. It just may take some time. It, it also came be, to my yeah. attention that um, I don't respond to all of the email suggestions, the suggestions of books. Uh-oh. Well, Nick has a lot to do during the week. I mean, he has a book to read every week and notes to prepare. And <laughs> Nick <laughs> reads both of our books, and that's how he decides who wins. No, we, we read them all, I e- the emails and the books, <laughs> and they are appreciated. So... We are always looking for new suggestions and theme theme suggestions as well. So please send those our way. Okay. So Joe, I'd like you to go first because I started this book and I feel like a lot of Cormac McCarthy books. You're like, you read and you read and you're like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> he he builds, Especially with this one. He builds like zero, like, premise or context like he doesn't prioritize that at all i think i think he writes to be read by literary scholars i think this is written to be read by kind of close readers i don't think this is written to be read by the masses rude Uh, (laughs) no i'm serious i think i think think there's a genre of literature which which is like hey you want recognizable characters you want a plot that moves screw you yeah too bad i'm gonna do I'm Cormac McCarthy. Too bad. He really encourages the reread. Oh. Do you know what I mean? Like, often you don't really have a full grasp of, like, the story and what it meant, I feel like, until you finish reading his book, which I didn't do, so I'd like to hear more about yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I, okay, so I, I I totally know what you're talking about with this book, and I, maybe we should ground the lidheads in kind of what this book is about first, but this is a book that Possibly. keeps you off balance right like it's a book that keeps you off balance and the the plot on its surface is it's not particularly complex um there's this kid we we never get a name he's called the kid which is just a total cormac mccarthy thing right he's kind of the main character he's he's more or less our point of view character throughout and he leaves home 
and joins a gang of scalp hunters on the Texas-Mexico border. And scalp hunters, it's exactly what you think it is. It's men who ride around in posses, who collect scalps of Native Americans, Native Mexicans, I guess, sometimes, but but First Nations people, in order to collect the bounty on those scalps. Um, These bounties would be paid by local governments, they'd be paid by national governments, they'd be paid by all sorts of different people, but these people go around killing Natives. Yeah. Illegal and uh, financially supported activity. And what's the time mm-hmm. frame here? 18 this is 1850s. 1850s. Yeah. Millard the Fillmore. Thick of it. <laughs> What'd you say? Millard Fillmore, I said. Don't you yeah. call me that. I don't get it <laughs> at all. So I'll just move on. Um, great. So, okay. So that's the terrible, terrible premise. What is the book about? So the the book is kind of about what I just said. You follow the kid, you 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 see scene after scene after scene after scene after scene of some of the most violent writing you've ever seen. Um Nick, can I I just want to give you a partial list of some things that I read in this book that have stuck with me. Can I can I break that off for you? Boy, that sounds like easy listening. I would love that, Joe. Mm-hmm. Nick, um, at one things. point, there this is, is this a... This is the segment called Joe's Sticky Things. Oh, God. <laughs> On our Cowboy Juices episode. Mm. Um, Nick, at one point, there is a severed head in a jar, a pickled head in a jar. Um, at one point, uh, uh, a different head, this is a different head, is chopped off in a fight around a campfire, like just decapitated with like a massive Bowie knife. Um, they kill a surrendered prisoner. She's like on her knees and like giving them directions. And then they just shoot her. I, at one point, a sack of puppies is thrown into a river and then one by one shot. I, at one point, Oh, I maybe should have led with this. They ride into a town that has been, um, sacked and massacred and there's a tree full of dead babies. Um, at, at one point, Nick, this is the last one. I'm just going to bleep these, all this out. Yeah, maybe. At one point, the all these men who have just like ransacked a village, who have just massacred a village, are riding, and their clothes are so soaked in blood, like their bodies and clothes are so soaked in blood uh, that the dust they're riding in, like, is getting kicked up, and they just turn into like these mud caked people who are indiscernible, indistinguishable from the earth around them. It's Oof. it's it's like so nuts. Those are yeah, all reasons ahead. to not read the book, Joe. What is the point of? What is the point of the the graphic? Is it violence? like violence porn? Is it like yep, the, super good? When quest. I started reading this, all I could think of is like, oh, these are probably all true stories. Yeah, okay. right. right. So the, these are absolutely all like taken from firsthand accounts or whatever or some sort of source material. Do you know anything about that? Like, how is there any background there or commentary from? Uh, Okay, when I read things like this, um, Ian, Ian, in a lot of ways, has become my literary conscience as I, as I, uh, as I wow. read books for this. Pressure. It is. It's not. And, <laughs> and as I was reading, I'm like, wait a second, wait a second. This is kind of entertaining sometimes, but it's also awfully gratuitous, right? Like, like, is this just violence porn? Yeah. Is that what this yeah. is, right? Um, and then I started reading about it, and Nick Cormac McCarthy based every event in this book on f- not just accounts, but firsthand accounts of Ooh, things that happened right. in this time. So when you see, you know, like it, it totally shifts the tone of the book. Obviously, it goes from being this kind of Quentin Tarantino esque, over the top, you know, um, oh, I don't know, uh, juicy cowboy book, juicy cowboy book, to being like, oh my god, this happened like this horrifying thing that's the worst thing i ever read in my life happened and two pages later when the new worst thing i've ever read in my life happens that happened too and the effect when you read it is nuts like we talked about being off balance a little bit as you read this it is shocking like every page is shocking but it's also really captivating and then about halfway through the book this gross thing happens to you where the violence in the book starts to get boring right there's so much description mundane. of the violence it's it becomes mundane. mundane there's it's like you don't care anymore like it's it it feels like just another horrible thing that's happening you get a case of the mundanes you get a <laughs> truer words were never spoken that's what <laughs> you, you get a that's case what you supply to this podcast is truth nick yeah thank you Did Uncle did Uncle Cormo do just watch a whole bunch of westerns and be like, 
I hate this. I hate this. I'm going to fact check them. And I'm going to show them how horrible it is. Mm-hmm. I'm going to bring every bit, every ounce of my considerable writing talent to bear to show these idiots how horrible the West actually was. Is he, is he, is he well actually the entire genre of the Western? Yeah. Or is this basically like the most accurate Western that's ever been written? <laughs> Non-romanticized or whitewashed? <laughs> So sometimes this is called the anti-Western, right? Like, like, like exactly both of your um, observations have been thrown about quite a bit. A lot of times people look at this book and they're like, wow, this is like the anti-Western. It's like how the West really was. It is not romantic. Being a cowboy is a hard and dirty and incredibly dangerous job. Other times people, though, are like, this is the greatest Western ever written because it's actually how the West was won. I, I mean, that's that's gross to say, but you know, we've heard the phrase how the West was won. Th- Cormac McCarthy, I think, is saying, hey, Americans with your cowboy shows that you like romanticize so much, you want to see how the West was won? Because this was it, and I don't think you're going to like it. I think this book would turn a lot of people off just immediately. <laughs> Basically, Litheads, if you don't want to read this book, just to imagine the worst thing possible and then like make it worse. Oh, and like, that's pretty much all really. it is. Yeah. It's well, and I think is there like, even a landing to stick or is that the message? Like, is there even really a story to this book? There is a, there is a story to this book, but it's kind of strange because I don't think the story that's interesting is the story of the main character. Uh, the main character is kind of like the the eyes that we see through the, see this world through. And I think some of it's kind of interesting and clever and like just, kind of like master of prose fiction-y cool stuff. Like, okay. you know, but there's a villain in this book who I think is one of the most captivating, coolest, scariest villains who I've ever read. And it's this guy called The Judge. Um, he, I've referenced him before twice already. He's the seven-foot-tall albino. Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. he's It's got a look. I would he, say there's cinematic energy right there. <laughs> Synergy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, you know what I picture? Um, I actually picture, do you know Dave Bautista in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies? I picture that, but just pale white. Um, he's seven okay. feet tall. He's albino and t- also totally hairless, which I had a trouble with for a little while, but I guess okay. like he could be. So really he's like a big and- powder. He's a he's a big old powder. Like a lot of the time he's he's naked, and when he's not naked, he's often dressed like eerily fancily for the situation that he's in he carries a gun with him like this rifle Um, everybody else has like these little six shooters and these old beat up rifles he has this beautiful rifle and on the barrel engraved in latin is the phrase even in arcadia i exist even in arcadia i exist which is um Arcadia, I had to look up. I wasn't familiar with it. Ian, is that a word you're familiar with? It's like um, it's like a beautiful place, right? It's a beautiful place. Yeah, Arcadia is a beautiful place. And he's basically saying like, look, even in Eden, even in right. like these beautiful places, I exist. And I here is death. Like he's kind of like this personification. Oh, we're of, all scared. El Jefe yeah. Joseph. <laughs> is this guy Satan? Is he the devil? Yeah. So you see some speculation like that. Like sometimes people think, well, he's clearly the devil. And then other times people are like, no, 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 He's not the devil. This guy's name is the judge in here. He's God. He is a vengeful and uncaring God. Um, I, I, I don't know. I think there's, you know, we're kind of just purely speculation at this point and we're getting a little, mm, I don't know, a little English teachery. I start to, I start yeah, to yeah, think. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, I, have my, I have my own thoughts, but, but the thing that's cool, he gives the coolest speeches. Like, like he'll have an entire okay. page of just a monologue of him giving a speech and you read it and you want to talk about cinematic energy. Like Oof. you can just see this naked bald man, like giving this rousing speech in front of this, you know, gang of misfits. And it's, I don't know. It's awesome. Huh? Sounds awesome. Yeah. Super <laughs> awesome. Talk about, could, could you talk about like how, what this does to you? So, so maybe before we do that, I'll, I'll explain that I read this mm-hmm. when I was the uh, when I was doing a campus visit to the University of Nevada Reno, where I eventually ended up doing my PhD. I read this. I wrote this on the plane, and I read this with me. Does this kind of trick you into being a bad person, and then show you that? Oh. Is it kind of a bait and switch? Is it like, hey, look, you think this guy is cool? 
he's still a monster and yeah. look what you've become now. I think this book does more than a lot of books that I've read, more than most books that I've read. It really makes you reflect on the nature of like what it is to be a person, like what it is to be like a human being, right? And the nature of humanity. And Ian, you and I have actually had this conversation before in different things. Like I, I think in my heart, I'm an optimist. Like if you ask me, are people good or bad? I, I say people are good, man. Like people are good. They want what's best for each other. Like we're here to help each other out. When you read this book, you're confronted with a whole lot of pages of evidence that that's not the case, right? And you really start questioning. And I think the thing it made me feel, you know, if we're talking about literature and how it changes you, how it makes you feel, the thing it really made me re-examine is like, man, I don't know that people are good at their core. Like, I think any goodness in us might be shaped by other stuff. It might be shaped by society or circumstance or whatever it is. But like, I think we are small and selfish. And and I don't know if I do think that, but that's certainly the argument that Cormac makes. Um, you know, Ian, it's funny, or Ian and Nick, at the beginning that you were talking about, you know, who does, who does he write these books for? Like, I get this sense that he writes them for academics. And in a lot of ways, that's that's almost a crazy thing to say, because when you read his books, when you imagine academic prose or overly literary prose, you don't imagine like the austere stripped down writing that Cormac McCarthy has, right. you know, like, like right. it's it's very simple in a lot yeah. of ways, you know, like I've seen it described as like uh, like a tree, like a dead tree in the desert that's just been yeah. like sandblasted for years and years. Like it's just the core of it is what's left. What's well, like it's Hemingwegian. Let's the, it's the iceberg. It, well, it is like, it, it's very simple. Like it's, you know, it, it is, it's Hemingway saying like, I use, I hate it when you guys talk about books. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I think it's crazy because like, um, you know, Cormac McCarthy's done like three interviews ever. And I thought, and, and I read him coming up to this. They're not that hard. There's not many. And one of the things he says is, you know, I write these books because nobody else is going to write them. He's like, if somebody else would write this book, I would go play golf. <laughs> That's what he says. He's like, I write the books I want to read. But he says, but I never understood writers. And and when he thinks of other writers, he really does talk about like- Does he say any you know, names? Yeah, he says like, when I think of Henry James, right? He says, I almost don't understand what they're doing. Because if you're not writing books about death, like if you're not writing books about life and death- I don't know that it's literature, Cormac McCarthy oh says. Cormac. Which, yeah, which. What about love? A crazy thing to say. Oh, there's no love in this. What book. about love? What about juicy? Cowboys? Not only is there no love in this book, there are almost zero women in this book. <laughs> Let me ask you a question, Joe. Now this is Cowboy Week. At any point, do they like? Okay, so they like. <laughs> so they like hurl some kittens over a mountain cliff side. <laughs> yep. yep. And and then like, is there any point? It goes there. Goes those buckaroos. Like, do they use any <laughs> sweet cowboy language? Like, right, do like, they have any like spurs on their boots? They do have spurs on their boots, like that. They don't say a lot of buckarooing. Um, okay. They definitely spur on horses. So no fun language, huh? Well, oh, well, it's hard to say because there's amazing language in this book. Um, mm, you know, I, like, but also kind of, but, but but not like, like buckaroo language. <laughs> traditional use of the word amazing. Yeah. So, so I love this book. It's got, it's super violent. It's got like the coolest, like bad guy I've ever seen. It made me re-examine what I think about what it means to be a human. <laughs> Your entire I mean, existence. Yeah. Cool. What else do you want from a book guys? Ian, Joe, uh, these books are fun, uh, but I feel like they're a little specific. Like they're about yeah, like specific. like like one thing or one thing. Mm. Oh, you know, was one character. One thing, one Do you have thing, a book? Something thing, more broad, thing, like something about like, like two things. Yeah, like well, just even, maybe right. even more than two things. Like a book about mm, I don't know, mm. like. Almost, Almost a lot of stuff. So I actually have behind me uh, the full encyclopedia in Cardicus set from it seems 1996. Kind of long. Is that cool? Is that enough, Joe? Nick, if you're looking for a book about more than just one thing and more than just two things, I do have a book that's about, it's not about everything. Dr. It's about Seuss. nearly everything. Is that okay? Is that we enough? Could, we could try it. Can I have more than 15 minutes next week to talk? Or <laughs> you might need it. 
<laughs> I mean, it's nearly everything. Who's this by, Joe? Oh, this is by a uh, returning author on the show, Bill Bryson. This book is called oh. A Short History of Nearly Everything. Um. All right. I'd like to learn about one of Ian's top five. Top yeah. five all time. No pressure, Ian. This is really hard. So probably still my, my number one novel is a book called Middlemarch. And I don't think I'll ever bring it to the podcast because I think it's a, it's the perfect novel. <laughs> and I think, I think I could not do it justice. Right. You're afraid it would lose. I'm afraid I would, couldn't, I would, couldn't dis- I would dishonor it. It's, right. it's Nick. I don't know if you can, ex- if we can express to you, if we ever accurately expressed to you how hard it is talking about books that we love on like this a show, door. like yeah. a door, like it's easy to talk about books that we dislike. It's easy to talk about books that we like. It's really hard to talk about books that we love because there's so much. And like, I'm going to, I'm going to leave out so, so much. I like, I can't talk about the pigs that, walk 3000 miles and then get butchered for pork um, because they, the, the trail hands wanted some pig at Christmas um, and how they have like personalities. Well, I okay. guess I just did, but right. Um, you know, that thing when you're watching a really good movie or maybe a show um, yeah. and you, you, you can't stop, but you're also dreading mm, binge it being binging. done it's called binging. It's like, it's like binging, but there's a, there's, there's like a fear. There's like a, there's like a foreboding. Like, yeah. you know, it's going to be over. And the thought of that is like, so you are drawn forward, but you're also hesitating because you're like, I want to prolong this magic. Right. As, as you hit that possible. moment where you're like, oh, this is going to end soon. And then I'm going to be empty inside. <laughs> exactly. Like you just want to <laughs> yeah. prolong it. And then going back to it is fine, but it won't be the same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just finished Sopranos and felt that way. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, that's a good example. You, you, you can appreciate the quality and you're enjoying it so much. And you're like, I, I, I want more of this, this delight, but also I know it's, it's ending and that, that hurts. Mm-hmm. That's how reading this book felt. Boy, just some real uplifting stuff today for guys. Right. Dead pigs. Yeah. Sad books. I wanted to learn about some like cool cowboy lore and like about, um, like just like the fake, the fake Western stuff. Yeah. So Y'all got is, any of that fake shit? This is interesting because <laughs> people have, people, McMurtry, uh, Larry McMurtry, who wrote this, he he was a fascinating character. Um, they don't have, don't have time to get into him. He he co-wrote Brokeback Mountain. He um, uh, wrote a ton of really successful Western-y type books. Um, McMurtry wrote this and he was like, I wanted to give an honest, not, a, not an anti-Western picture mm-hmm. of the old West, but I want to be honest and show like, yeah, there's beauty. There's also terror. It's like, it's in balance, mm-hmm. but people have taken this book and this, the mini mini series, which was made out of it and basically turned it into this huge romanticizing thing. Oh. And he's like, I hate that. <laughs> and, and I can see why, right. like there are some very classic moments in this book. Like this time, these two kind of old cowboys, old Rangers go into a saloon oh, and there's a good. sassy young bartender and the bartender's like not talking to him. And so they beat him up for disrespecting him. Yeah. And then they're throwing glasses in the air and shooting at him. And he like finds his picture on the wall. He's like, you know who that is? That's me from the Indian Wars 40 years ago. And everyone's like, oh, no, you don't mess with Gus and Carl. They're like classic <laughs> moments of How just- How many mustaches are in that scene? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Like, I, I would say too many mustaches. <laughs> yeah, if that's even possible. Over the legal limit. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's some really good like classic um classic cowboy stuff here. It's not all happy, it's not all romanticized, but there's some of it. Like he's not afraid to dwell on some of the beauty, some of the majesty that it was fascinating as I was reading this, I was comparing it in my mind to Blood Meridian. Mm-hmm. And I think where this book, where Blood Meridian Meridian says there's just death. Mm-hmm. There's just death. This book says there's death, but there's also life. There's darkness, but there's also light. There's pain and fear, but there's also love mm-hmm. and hope. And there aren't like a ton of happy endings, but there are a couple of happy endings. There's some sad endings, some kind of meh endings, and some happy endings. It's 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 balanced. Yeah. The basic like the it's an ensemble story, and it's multiple points of view. So. 
the, the example that came to mind is Game of Thrones, how Game mm. of Thrones involves like, oh, we've got a point of view chapter from Tyrion, and then we've got a point of view chapter from Ned, and we've got yeah. a point of view chapter from Cersei. Um, this does that. And like, he does a really good job of keying you up. Like, oh, well, now the, the climax is going to happen for Gus. And then, oh, wait, we're going to go, you know, 1500 miles little bait to and switch in, in yeah. between the chapters yeah. huh but it keeps you going it keeps this is one of the things that keeps you driving so the basic like bare bones plot is there are two old texas rangers gus and call call C-A-L-L? yeah call 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 is his last name his his first name is woodrow but nobody calls him woodrow everyone calls him call yeah okay well it's that's a better cowboy name yeah yeah so there are these two old rangers uh, Texas Rangers. They've they've been they've been rangering together for a long time, and they settle down in a town called Lonesome Dove, right down south in Texas on the Rio Grande. Unbelievable! And they decide. Great, I love it. They decide that it's time to drive thousands of cattle three thousand miles north up to Montana, where there are no cattle because Montana has just been opened for settlers. Mm. I mean. For- Probably right. some scalping involved in that process as well. <laughs> I, I would think, Joe. If you want to like listen to this premise and just like fact check it, fact right. check it if a I little could just bit, like, like insert the scalping. Like, oh, you know, that sarsaparilla. Guess how they made that blood? Well, a big a big part of this book is is the destruction of the buffalo herds, and he talks at length about. And there's that really beautiful passage where he describes, you know, the effects of the eradication of the buffalo herds, as well as you know, genocide of Native Americans. Um, which kind of go, they go hand in hand. You destroy the Buffalo herds to help weaken the native American, um, kind of hold on the, on the plains. Um, but you also, was you that just one do of the murder? Was that one of the factors? Was that, was that one of the, like the motivations I mean, or I th- it wasn't just like, part of it was part of, part of it was Buffalo hides. Um, part of it was, um, the desire to, to, to destabilize native American, um, uh, folks. But, but part of it too, the disgusting thing about the Buffalo, uh, herds and we were way off track, but that's fine. Is that some of it was they had these trains that went mm-hmm. across the country now and they would just hang out on the trains and have fun shooting at Buffalo from the trains. And when a train had passed, there would be usually like trails and trails of carcasses of Buffalo wow. that were just that is just shot, shot over the not to be harvested months. at all, just yeah. for kicks and giggles because the train right. just keeps moving. Can I say something? Yep. <laughs> Sounds kind of fun. <laughs> Sniping buffalo from a train. It's on one of those things level. you're not allowed to say. If there were, okay, if there were no level, like ecological or human <laughs> ramifications, absolutely. Why not? I you understand know? all of the flaws. Sure, it sounds challenging. Saying. It sounds like it's a, a, a way. I knew a guy. I knew a guy who ended up getting. Uh, he was he was an, an elderly relative, and he ended up. Um, he he was still mobile, but he got his disabled tag, and that meant that where he lived, he was able to get uh, special handicap or hunting laws, handicap laws for his hunting. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that meant he could, sh- he, he could shoot deer from his car. <laughs> <laughs> That's how, this is a guy that you knew in and Wisconsin, you know I take it, because that is a you Wisconsin thing. He loved doing it. <laughs> Okay, so so these two Texas Rangers, they're, they're going to drive thousands of cattle north. First cattle herd to go to Montana. To help you imagine these guys, um, in the miniseries, um, Gus is the talkative one. He's played by Robert Duvall. And Call is the strong, silent type, and he's played by Tommy Lee Jones. Oh, great. Those are a couple cowboys. Good casting. Keep going. Um, so there's this is the main story, but like I said, it's an ensemble cast. So there are this, this host of interconnected kind of interwoven stories. There's a, a sheriff from Arkansas who leaves town to track a criminal. And along the way to track this criminal who he doesn't end up catching, he loses everything along the way. Like I'm not going to go into it further than that, but like he leaves town thinking he has a simple task and mm-hmm. so much kind of changes in his life. There's a gambler who uh, falls in with the wrong crowd and kind of loses, loses hold of who he is. The illegitimate son of one of the Rangers one of the two uh, Texas Rangers. I'm not going to say who, because no spoilers. Thank the you. illegitimate son of one of the Rangers is searching for a name and an identity in this world where he doesn't have space. The world doesn't make space for him. 
Um, there's an Irishman who gets bitten to death by water snakes. Oh, oh. So yeah, earlier conversation yeah. about snakes. Yeah. yeah. All right. So you've described some things that happen. What's this? What's the? What, what are you gonna get out of this book? Well, I guess I want to know why it's like so endeared, endearing. Like so, yeah. well, enduring or endearing. Like you're like okay, Endure-deering. all that stuff sounds fine, but top five. Yeah. So I think I think there are a couple of reasons. This is so I'll give you I'll give you my my top three. The first is that this is a snapshot of a really fascinating moment in time. Living in the West, I'm fascinated by the history of the West and sort of what we can recover and what we can't, what we can experience and what we can't. This book happens kind of after the West has been quote unquote one. So there are some Native Americans, there are some Indians, but they're not really a, a major force. Um, there are some bison, but most of them have been wiped out. Um, the West is empty. The space has not been filled in yet. This West is has been scoured clean, ready for white sort of resettlement, uh, ready to be refilled, repopulated, colonized by white people. This West is dangerous and it is beautiful and it is vast and it is empty. And I think that's a that's a West that there's space in this novel that I don't really see in a lot of Western stories. And honestly in a lot of fiction in general. Space? You mean like they take time? Empty, yeah. Empty space. Lots of people, lots of people going on like rides for days by themselves, chasing down an outlaw or tracking some horse thieves. This book is both epic in scope and what I'm going to call small town in its design. <gasps> Little city? Little city's books. So... <laughs> This, like, there is there is the kind of massive sweeping. It takes place over the course of about a year. There is this massive sweeping. There's a journey, you know. They go 3,000 miles from Mexico to Canada. It, that, that sort of, like, you know, broad vistas, you know, massive sandstorms, the, the, the inevitable, like, oh, no, we're out of water. Oh. We've got to quest ahead and get to the water. Is the West a but- character? No, he doesn't like it when that happens. Is the way I would he say said that New York City mm, can't be a character. I don't think the West can be a character. Yeah, but he really cares about this book, so maybe he'll be yes. Oh, I see. Yes. I so would maybe. say I would say no because because the West is not one thing. The West Ooh. is the West what is character the West, is just one thing though, Ian. Oh, that's a is great point. Is Tumbleweed a character? What about that no, water snake? Is not. Let's get specific. <laughs> Hey, <laughs> there's a cowboy <laughs> whose name is Tumbleweed. By the way, if you want a book with good names, this book has great names. It seems there's a like cowboy it. named Needle Nelson, and there's another cowboy named Soupy Jones. That's there's great. one named Burt Borum, and there's one named Dish Boggett. Unbelievable. <laughs> Those sound like orphan names from last week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, so the big, big scope, sure, but then it's also really cool in how it brings together these different perspectives, these different point of views. So, you know, when you read one of these books that has different POVs, you want them to meet up at some point. Like if you're reading a book with multiple POVs, they have to connect or they have to be, there has to be something that brings them together. Otherwise it's just like, I'm hanging out with these people and they're just, so what, why, why, why are they together? This book does such a, a non-contrived, non-forced, satisfying bring of, of characters and threads together um, at one point it's almost like ridiculous. Um, our Gus, our Robert Duvall talkative, uh, Texas Ranger, he's riding on, uh, on the, on the, the range trying to track down an outlaw. And he just bumps into the sheriff who I mentioned earlier, who left Arkansas. He just bumps into him like out in the middle of the Texas wilderness. And it's easy to do that wrong, to do that badly, but this book doesn't do that badly. It makes this stuff feel a little tiny bit surreal, but also really, really, it makes sense. It's sensible. In this one, the points of contact are totally legit. Dynamite. It works. Dynamite. <laughs> As cowboys would say, dynamite. Mm-hmm. Oh, one thing that the cowboys also say a lot in this book is Dern. Oh, that's how do you good. spell that? What's the spelling? D-E-R-N. Dern. And is it like how we would say darn? Like, pass me my darn socks. D-E-R-N. Yes. Well, like darn, uh, darn it. Like Laura Dern. 
Dern. Yeah, like Laura Dern. Well, they're referring to her. They, they, right, they worship right, her right, in the right, future, right, future right, Laura right, Dern. She killed um, a lot of buffalo. Oh, yeah, from a train. Um, but that's something that, like, there was enough of it that I was like, I need to make this part of my, my vocabulary now. Oh, I need Dern. to start saying Dern. <laughs> Maybe instead of Dern, you just say Laura Dern. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, a good idea. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. I do. I do know what you mean. Yep. Okay. Mark McMurtry is not afraid to kill off point of view characters sometimes he even has point of view characters narrate their own death wow um, do you remember uh, in, when, uh, how each chapter yeah, exactly. ends very good joke <laughs> uh, in, when, when i when i first read uh, a game of thrones the first book of the game of thrones song of ice and fire when you get to the end spoilers for something that's been out for years when you get to the end and you discover oh ned stark is gonna die like he's mm-hmm. dead he's he's oh he's dead like, we have been with this person. Somebody shall for save the our hero. Whole book. And, like, he's, he's dead. Yep. That graveyard dead. I would That's multiple below times. The snakes. Below the snakes. Below the snakes. Yeah. I've been, I heard about. McMurtry puts his point of view characters below the snakes plenty of times. And that is, it's just, ooh, it's, it's refreshing. You guys know the, the phrase plot armor? Plot armor is just, is just where it's like, um, oh, so-and-so can't die because they're a main character. So... Things that should kill them, James Bond don't kill them. Has this in because space. yeah, mm-hmm. classic, classic example. There is no plot armor. In fact, I think being a main character in this in this story puts a target on your back more. Um, it's more risky to be a main character in this. <laughs> than it is to be. That's how I feel um, about real life too. <laughs> that's why this book won the Pulitzer Prize in 1985 over Blood Meridian. Uh, wait, what? It was yep. a screw job. Oh, bearing lead. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I think he sa- I think he saved it for a mic drop. So mic drop. Bury oh, the lead funny. under the snakes. All the yeah. fun expressions. Look, I think these are great, great selects in terms of uh, cowboy books here. Yeah, mm-hmm. guys, we sometimes golf it when it comes to our selections. Oh, we, we somehow. Yeah, we get the uh, what do they call that? Slicing. Yeah, yeah. We, yep. we dice. These, these are both, I would say, to mix our metaphors, these are both home runs. <laughs> Good <laughs> stuff, guys. Top of the snakes. So, okay, great selections here. Uh, Joe, you lose. I don't want to uh, hear, he, you know, Ian, if he wins, it's going to be just this, like, oh, I'm going to pick the deepest, darkest, f- disturbing well, part of my really book. I had a really cool speech it's from really the judge, disturbing. and now you're not going to hear it. I fed the entrails and to the children. all the kids died, and on the puppies. <laughs> that's, okay, well, you can make all the assumptions you want, guys, but that's not what it was going to be. It was going to be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a beautiful description of a sunrise. Joe, tell the leadheads what to do. Yeah, absolutely. but like in a nice way. Like, don't yeah, be I will. I mean, okay? I'm going to go ahead and um, like us on social media. Go to you don't know lit podcast.com. Suggest a theme, suggest a book. We read all of your suggestions. And sometimes like a year after you make them, we read the book. And uh, sometimes right. it even wins. There's a lithead I know of. Um, she knows who she is. Is it Gina? Who, it's not Gina. Oh, no. okay. Um, she she is a a loyal um, evangelist for this podcast, and so she told she told a bookish friend, and the bookish friend sort of went went just bananas uh, on on our podcast, and and listened back to all of the old episodes, and then listened to them all again, and was frantic for new episodes. So do that. Be like this unnamed. I'll go ahead and name her. It's Jeanette. Be like Jeanette. Be like Jeanette. Who ended up sharing the good news. All right, for my victory quote. Oh, congratulations, Gina! Man, you have you have made your mark. Uh, this is this is a, a brilliant book, and I'm so happy to to have it in my life now. The background for this quote is our our one of our 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 Texas Rangers, Gus, is riding across the plains uh, to rescue a woman from some terrible bandits. And as he goes, he's by himself. It's this kind of surreal moment. He comes across one of the killing fields where they had shot a bunch of buffalo. And he sees an old man he used to know. His name is Oss Frank. And Oss Frank used to be a mountain man, but now he is collecting the bones in a wheelbarrow and putting them in a big pyramid. It's just very... And there's like, and the guy is like clearly out of his mind. Yeah, I got any quotes about sarsaparilla? <laughs> this is the background. All right, and there all are references. Right. We're listening. Augustus caught his horse and rode east. On his way, he saw Oss Frank again, working under the moonlight. 
He had plenty to work with, for the plain around was littered with buffalo bones. It looked as if a whole herd had been wiped out, for a road of bones stretched far across the plain. He remembered when he had first come to the high plains, years before. For two days, he and Call and the rangers had ridden parallel to the great southern buffalo herd, hundreds of thousands of animals slowly grazing north. It had been difficult to sleep at night because the horses were nervous around so many animals and the sounds of the herd were constant. They had ridden for nearly a hundred miles and seldom been out of sight of buffalo. Of course, they had heard that the buffalo were being wiped out, but with the memory of the southern herd so vivid, they had hardly credited the news. Discussing it in Lonesome Dove, they had decided that the reports must be exaggerated. Thinned out, maybe, but not wiped out. Thus, the sight of the road of bones stretching over the prairie was a shock. Maybe roads of bones were all that was left. The thought gave the very emptiness of the plains a different feel, with those millions of animals gone, and the Indians mostly gone in their wake. The great plains were truly empty, unpeopled and ungrazed. Soon the whites would come, of course, but what he was seeing was a moment between. Not the plains as they had been, or as they would be, but a moment of true emptiness, with thousands of miles of grass resting unused, occupied only by remnants of the buffalo, the Indians, the hunters. Augustus thought they were crazed remnants, mostly like the old mountain man who worked night and day gathering bones to no purpose. The light was just coming, the plains black in the distance, the sky gray where it met the land. Though dawn was his favorite hour, it was also an hour at which Augustus most keenly felt himself to be a fool. What was it but folly to be riding here alone, easy pickings for an outlaw gang, and hungry to boot? A chain of follies had put him there, Call's abrupt decision to become a cattleman, and his own decision equally abrupt to try and rescue a girl foolish enough to be taken in by a gambler. None of it was sensible, yet he had to admit there was something about such follies that he liked. The sensible way, which he had pursued once or twice in his life, had always proved boring, usually within a few days. In his case, it had led to nothing much, just excessive drunkenness and reckless card playing. There was more enterprise in certain follies, it seemed to him. As the sun lit the grass, he rode east along the road of buffalo bones. <laughs> 